Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Go podcast. Josh here with you today. I'm going to break down my top 10 tight ends, get into the epic game five that we witnessed Saturday night between the Bucks and the Suns, and looking ahead to game six tomorrow night, then also getting into the NHL and some of the trades that have happened because the NHL expansion draft is Wednesday night. The Seattle Kraken are getting their team, and there's quite a list of players that they can pick from. And I'll also give you my thoughts on the new Space Jam. So let's get started with my top 10 tight ends. So far, I have given you my top 10 quarterbacks, my top 10 running backs, and my top 10 wide receivers. Today, I will be giving you my top 10 tight ends, because tight end is a very valuable position. I agree with what George Kittle said, and that it is the most versatile position in guards of catching the ball, and blocking, and also setting different picks that you are asked to do. So I'm going to break all that down in my analysis for the tight ends that I have chosen. Now, number 10 might be a little controversial because he hasn't played an NFL game yet, and that's Kyle Pitts for the Atlanta Falcons. He hasn't played an NFL game yet. He was drafted in this 2021 NFL draft by the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Pitts out of Florida was just different last year in Florida. And that he did things that a wide receiver does. Kind of Megatron-esque level. And he also finished in the top 10 for Heisman voting as a tight end. This dude balled out last year. In eight games, he had 770 receiving yards, 12 touchdowns. His average yardage per reception was 18 yards That is a guaranteed first down. The year before was 649 yards, 5 touchdowns, 12 yards average, which was, again, a first down average. So every time he caught the football, it was a guaranteed first down. And that's because he has this unique blend of size and skill where he's 6'6", 200 and 40 pounds with 33-inch arms with super speed that acts like he's a wide receiver but plays tight end, his cutting ability. This could be a real threat in the making. To me, is a comparison of a Darren Waller, which I will talk about in a second. Is he the greatest blocker? No, he is not. But he is a great pass catcher. As I said, he's kind of like a wide receiver. He lined up a lot of the wide receiver position in Florida because he would make plays. Teams would have to double him. So the one thing that's interesting, and you know, some people have him high on the list coming out. Some people don't have him at all. But the one thing I'm looking to see for Kyle Pitts as he transitions into the NFL is how he gets used to this NFL game and how the Falcons use him. Because to me, he's not the traditional tight end where he lines up as the extension of the offensive lineman and makes blocks majority of a play. He can line up anywhere and really make a play for you catching the football. So pairing him with Calvin Ridley, I think, will be great moving forward. Uh, But we're going to have to see how he adjusts to this NFL style because to me, I haven't seen a tight end lineup consistently at the slot. Uh, Last time I saw it, 
you know, you see Travis Kelsey do it occasionally, but not enough. Sometimes uh, there's motion Gronk out there, but he really wasn't out there. So the last person is really Jimmy Graham in the Saints uh, 10 years ago when what they did with Jimmy Graham and kind of utilized him is that wide receiver on the outside. So he's number 10. Number 9, Dallas Goddard of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now this is hard because they have Zach Ertz, who is a premier tight end, but Dallas has really blossomed into the starter because of some injuries to Zach Ertz. But Dallas is kind of taken it and run with it. I think is a better blocker than Zach Ertz and is definitely... Uh, finding his way as a pass catcher as well. Uh, He's kind of that, to me, reminiscent of George Kittle, where he is really good blocker, is a good receiver, and he's the only tight end in the NFL with receiving and run blocking grades of 80 or higher since 2018. Seventh in receiving grade and first in run blocking. That is what the tight end is out for some of the time is run blocking. So for him to be that good and really that throws the defense for a loop when you have a tight end because you don't know are they going to run the football, are they going to pass the football, who's going to be on him. But if he's they're running it with him, it really isn't a disadvantage to the Eagles. It's more of an advantage because his run blocking is so good, but it is really like six offensive linemen and not a bad tight end where it's easy for an edge rusher or linebacker to kind of collapse through the gaps there. So that's what makes Dallas uh, Goddard uh, so good. Even his passing stats, he doesn't start every game. Like I said, he splits a lot of time with Zach Ertz, but he's proven to be the better uh, tight end. 524 yards this past season on 46 receptions, 674 yards this season before, uh, five touchdowns here before and three touchdowns this year. So that's the only thing I would like to see is Dallas Goddard used more than what he is right now. Only 12 career touchdowns and just over 1,400 uh, yards receiving. So, it's hard with Zach Ertz there to kind of piece this together when you're splitting time. But I would like to see Dallas have more of a featured role in this offense to really have him as the definitive number one tight end. Zach Ertz rides the bench, and we're going to let you know Dallas do what he does for this team. So he's number nine. Number eight is Hunter Henry. He was just uh, the tight end of the Chargers. Had a pretty good connection going with Justin Herbert. Where he caught 60 passes, which was a career high. 613 yards, four touchdowns. Year before, 652 yards, five touchdowns. So around that similar trajectory, north of 600 yards and around the four or five touchdown mark, who is definitely a more goal goal line level threat down there in the red zone, a red zone threat. Uh, But he's no longer there. He is now in New England. And New England has John U. Smith to pair along with Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry is a better... uh, tight end, but he is really, really good at his position. Uh, He's been good. He had the one season-ending injury in 2018, which kind of derailed him, so he had to work back. I think if he were to be on the Chargers, I'd definitely have him higher because they definitely throw the football more with Justin Herbert than I think they will. In New England, since they are splitting Johnny Smith, another good tight end, then you don't know what you're getting out of your quarterback situation. We saw Cam Newton last year, uh, who didn't look good. Who knows what Mac Jones will do. 
so having you know either a rookie an experienced quarterback back there or a quarterback who's no longer what he was definitely will make it more difficult for the tight end back there so that's probably why he isn't higher but he is a very skill leveled player Number seven is Mike Gusecki of the Miami Dolphins. I have to give it to Mike Gusecki because he had a really good year this year. Kind of came out of nowhere when he had 700 receiving yards, six touchdowns. Kind of was that nice sweet spot for Tua Tagovailoa and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Kind of that perfect target for a third down when you needed reliable hands. You try to feed the ball to Mike Gusecki. And he really flourished in that role. Uh, Had a strong grade uh, for his position of 78. And he has a relatively younger tight end, only spending three years in the league. This is the, he only started nine games this season. But we've seen the progression from 200 yards to 500 to 700, increasing in touchdowns from 5 to 6. So he is getting featured more in this offense. As I said, is that safety blanket for Tua? Because I think every quarterback needs a reliable tight end is kind of a check down to where, oh man, everything down the field, I don't like it. I don't like the throws that I could make. It could lead to possible turnovers. But I have my nice check down for Mike Gusecki, my tight end. Is it the flashiest play? No, it's not. Uh, but it is the correct play. It's the right play. It will get me positive yards and maybe even a first down. And Mike Gusecki is kind of that perfect tight end of that position where he can do that. Has a bigger frame at six foot six, two fifty, where he can block out the linebacker, the safety, whoever it may be on him, and has shown reliable hands this past season. So I think it'll be great with more weapons next year, such as Jalen Waddell uh, and Devontae Parker and company there and Will Fuller. I think it'll only free him up even more to make some plays. Number six is possibly the greatest tight end in the history of a game, and that is Rob Gronkowski. Is he prime Rob Gronkowski of old, uh, where he has over a 1,000 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns? No, I think those days are behind him. I think his... Injuries have hindered him this past year, you know, coming out of retirement. But his grade of around 80 was higher than his great season with 2018. And again, as I just said, Tua has the perfect safety blanket. And Mike Gusecki, well, Tom Brady has the perfect one. And Rob Gronkowski, he is four-time a Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots, and then he just won one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So yes, Gronk is the real deal. This year coming out of retirement, 623 yards, seven touchdowns is still that red zone threat. But before his retirement, you've got to hand it to him where he had 682 yards the year before that, was all pro, selected to the Pro Bowl, 1,084, eight touchdowns, has been uh, two five Pro Bowls, selected to four first-team All-Pros, which is the best at his position. 1,000 receiving yards four times in his career, double-digit touchdowns, Five times with a career high of 17 touchdowns in 2011. Kind of took this league by storm with Tom Brady. And his continued dominance ever since has had his injuries and fair share of injuries. 
but I have to give respect to Rob Gronkowski because he plays this position at such a high level that we haven't really seen before with athleticism, his catching ability, the way you have to double-team him and make plays and aim low around him just to get him down because he will destroy you one-on-one. It was resembled a little bit in the Super Bowl on his little touchdown screen. You want to find creative ways to get Rob Gronkowski involved in the game. That's why he is number six. Number five is Mark Andrews, tight end of the Baltimore Ravens. This one was hard for me exactly where to put down because, as I said with some of the previous tight ends, the safety blankets, he is the ultimate safety blanket for Lamar Jackson. And to me, has kind of been their best receiver at times, too. On the Baltimore Ravens, 2019, getting selected to the Pro Bowl with 852 yards, 10 touchdowns. Last year, he took a step back, but so did his offense and Lamar. Uh, has 700 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, who is a really good tight end? Is that big target who can work uh, different areas of the field? Maybe not, you know, post routes or slant routes, but he can run kind of those vertical routes up the field and kind of get key completions in touchdowns. 12 red zone touchdowns is tied with Kelsey for the most at the tight end over the past two years. He has a higher target rate than anybody on this team. As I said, his connection with Lamar is greater than any other wide receiver on this team. 185 targets to the next closest, 165. So we have seen what Mark Andrews can do for this team because he does provide another element to it and this year they've added Sammy Watkins they've drafted a wide receiver as well to add more weapons to help Lamar Jackson out but Mark Andrews will still I think be Lamar's favorite target I think the only reason I don't have him higher on my list is he has had the occasional key drop where it just makes you wonder how does a pro football player in the NFL, drop that pass. I think that's the only thing holding Mark Andrews back is just the untimely, costly drops that seem to happen at just the worst times uh, that you kind of reflect on and wish they didn't happen. I think that's the only concern I have for him in this game, but he has proven to be a great fit on this Ravens team. Number four, TJ Hawkinson. Why? This guy, I think, is going to have a breakout year. Last year, was kind of his breakout year. First year, pick super high by the Detroit Lions. I thought, what in God's name are they doing selecting TJ Hawkinson with their first round pick? Had a great first game over 100 yards, uh, which was half of his full season total, which he got the next seven games because he was injured as well, had concussion. I thought, oh my goodness, they wasted a pick on this guy. But he had a big bounce back season last year. 723 yards on 67 targets, or 67 receptions. Six touchdowns. Selected to the Pro Bowl. Played really well. His grade of a tight end went from 60 to 75. And then also, he's a much better run blocking tight end and blocking tight end than he gets credit for. To me, is much better than the players I've named on the list so far. Maybe omitting Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski, to me, 
is one of the best run-blocking tight ends and the best run-blocking tight end so far that I've named through these six positions. But TJ Hawkinson, or actually, my bad, he's the third best. Dallas Goddard is one, Rob Gronkowski two, third is TJ Hawkinson. Hawkinson is really good, and I think to me, why I have him so high as well entering my list is what's going to happen this season with the Detroit Lions. He is going to be the focal, the feature point, now that they have no weapons, now that they said goodbye to Kenny Galladay, goodbye to Marvin Jones, goodbye to Danny Amendola, their top three wide receivers from last year, have really brought in the bottom of the barrel, you know, the junkyard dog over there is what they've brought in. And you little have little TJ Hawkinson standing out there. You have new Jared Goff, and he's like, where are my wide receivers at? And they're just all pointing at TJ Hawkinson, who's a tight end, not even a wide receiver, and they're like, this is what you have to work with. So I think he's going to have a breakout year because he's going to see um, so many targets, a multitude of targets, Every game, he's going to have to make him count. I think teams will eventually start to double him. I think his numbers, I think he could reach a 1,000 yards this season with the offense that is constructed behind your offensive line. Jared Goff, the poor running game, the poor wide receiver. It kind of just leaves TJ Hawkinson as kind of the big old target, the flag over there that Jared Goff needs to hit on a daily game basis. So he's number four. Number three, Darren Waller of the Las Vegas Raiders. He has been sensational. To me, I have named my past seven tight ends, but to me, really... There's top three. There's the three that you want. And then there's kind of, you know, below the belt kind of guys that I have just named with the past seven people. Darren Waller has been special the past two years. Selected to the Pro Bowl this year with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns. Selected to the Pro Bowl with Simply Built Brilliant but was brilliant before as well with Oakland the year before. Almost at that 1,200-yard total at 1153 touchdowns. So his touchdown number has increased. And you look at where he started when he started at Baltimore. uh, Didn't play at all. Then he was shipped to Oakland after some injuries. Dealt with some injuries. But two seasons really fully healthy has been just brilliant. Uh, for this team, massing 2,400 yards, really doing that in two seasons, uh, 14 touchdowns in two, se- 12 touchdowns in two seasons. Darren Waller has been the real deal. As I said, creeping closer to kind of my one and two guys is the top of a position. His receiving grade to me is higher than that of George Kittle who is, I will get to on my list, but he's just short of Travis Kelsey. Waller, as I said, he can kind of line up as a wide receiver too at times in make routes, but he can make plays from anywhere down the field. I would say to improve his blocking, but other than that, he makes plays for this Las Vegas Raider team. He really does. Uh he is kind of the fuel that helps Derek Carr out uh, as well. And I think a man at six foot six, two fifty five shouldn't be that fast. As I said, Kyle Pitts is sort of like that. Not as big as Darren Waller. Kyle Pitts is a little faster. But Darren Waller is in a system where I didn't think the tight end would be that valued with John Gruden and Derek Carr. Uh but Darren Waller, to me, 
is kind of a flow of this offense. It kind of flows as he goes, and Darren Waller will take him where he needs to go because he's that brilliant, and he's a tight end you want on your team. Now time for my top two tight ends, which is really like 1A and 1B, I should say. So I had a hard time deciding which tight end I wanted over which, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. But after taking in just to account this last year, I think the injury to George Kittle has him as my number two tight end in the league. But George Kittle has been simply brilliant with the San Francisco 49ers. 6'4", 250 pounds, has been an absolute force to be reckoned with uh, here in the game. George Kittle, highest graded tight end of the NFL since 2018 at 93 as well. Highest receiving grade at the position since that time. Third highest run blocking grade as well, which I think right now in the game he is the best. And the majority of what he does is from the traditional tight end line up right next to the offensive line, not moved out a little where they can stand up. He is the traditional tight end where he's lined up in line 1,811 receiving yards from that which is 500 more than any other tight end in sort of his span and he's been brilliant this year he was injured uh, with his broken foot but still racked up 634 yards in between those games two touchdowns year before selected to the Pro Bowl and all first team all pros the best tight end 1,053 yards, five touchdowns. His sophomore season is when he really broke out, selected to the Pro Bowl, and broke the record for most receiving yards by a tight end at that time with 1,377 yards and five touchdowns. George Kittle has been brilliant. I think the only knack is not giving him the ball more. As I said, uh, two touchdowns this year, but those two previous campaigns of a Pro Bowl All-Pro only been five receiving touchdowns each season, which was at 10 combined. He needs to get the football more, especially in the red zone. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to find him. Yes, I know the defenses scheme more down there. It gets tighter. They try to pick him, hit him, uh, to where double him, to where he doesn't get the looks he wants. But they should be trying to find George Kittle and get George Kittle the ball whenever it's needed. Because George Kittle... Is he mad? To me, I think he's overtaken Travis Kelsey as my favorite tight end in the league because he is that traditional tight end that runs, blocks, that pass can pass block as well, uh, can stiff arm. To me, that I believe 2018 uh, touchdown or 2019 touchdown uh, where he was throwing defenders off of him where it was, he was getting, uh, his helmet was grabbed onto, it was a face mask penalty for a while, but it was just stiff-arming people to get down to field goal range, which San Francisco won right after that, just because of the hearts and the guts by George Kittle. The toughness that he plays with makes him my favorite tight end and one of the best tight ends in the game of football and provide so much value for your team, both blocking in the run game and receiving in the passing game. He is one of the premier tight ends in the National Football League, and he's young, just getting started, and he's going to continue to do great things with whatever quarterback might be starting, whether it is Jimmy G or Trey Lance. But there can only be one number one, And that man is Travis Kelsey himself, who has been on another level, and I'll give this to Travis Kelsey, on another level for a while now. The longevity that Kelsey 
has sustained is simply brilliant. It really is. Kelsey is the dominant tight end in the game. The last five seasons, Kelsey has had uh, over a thousand receiving yards in each of those campaigns. So, over that is great because that's over 5,000 receiving yards, you know, more than any other tight end in the NFL. Uh, they force missed tackles. Uh, he's great at finding a way to get open. He is not the best blocker as a tight end, but he is, to me, the best receiving tight end, especially from the eye test this past year. He broke George Kittle's record for receiving yards by tight end with his own 1,416 yards to go with 11 touchdowns. So that's 50 more yards was a Pro Bowl, all pro, has been selected uh, to five Pro Bowls, has been to three, selected to three first-team All-Pros because he's been that good as a tight end. And one thing he also gets the advantage of, and I know this is the quarterback play and the head coaching as well, is they give him the ball more down in the red zone, which is why he has 11 touchdowns, 10 touchdowns, 8 touchdowns, because they find him a way to get the ball down there. They get creative whether it's just a little flip flat, flip pass, shuttle pass, whatever it may be, they want Kelsey involved touching the football because he's electric. He can stiff arm. As I said, he breaks tackles as well. He's big bodied. He really is uncoverable as well. But he just always seems to get yards in every game. Travis Kelsey simply is the man. He is a great tight end in Kansas City. To me, has the undisputed best tight end in the league right now. So that's my top 10 tight ends. Number 10, Kyle Pitts. 9, Dallas Goddard. 8, Hunter Henry. 7, Mike Gusecki. 6, Rob Gronkowski. 5, Mark Andrews. 4, TJ Hawkinson. 3, Darren Waller. 2, George Kittle. And 1, Travis Kelsey. Now, to get to the Bucks and the Suns, Game 5. I was right on my prediction. I predicted the Bucks to win. Everyone else told me wrong. Said it was Suns, the home team's winning. But the Bucks did it, and I thought they would going into this game because I thought the Bucks had the momentum in this series. Winning two in a row, that favors them, and I thought they would do it. But the Suns, in that first quarter, had a 16-point lead. I was worried. I thought this game was going to be over. I thought, there's no way the Bucks come back and win. I thought, maybe they come back and make it close, but this is going to be tough to do. With Devin Booker hitting his shots, Drake Crowder hitting a couple of threes, Bridges. They're hitting their shots. They're playing good defense. The crowd is going crazy. LeBron James is there. Adele is there. Vanessa Hudgens is singing the national anthem, getting the crowd pumped up. Little Wayne's there. I mean, the stars were out. Home favorite Kyler Murray was there too. I mean, the stars were out. In support of the Phoenix Suns. It was the Suns game to lose. Especially after that first quarter. I thought the Stars are not adding up right now. I might as well accept defeat. Then it was the second quarter switch. Where the Bucks, after that first quarter... Outscored the Suns 
by 30 points in the next two quarters. I believe it was around an 87-57 run where Suns outscored them by 16. Then in the second quarter, the Bucks outscored the Suns by 19. And then in the third quarter, the Bucks outscored the Suns by 7. And then they also took a charge early in that fourth quarter as well, which combined to that to take command of this game. Uh, it was simply brilliant. The play of Giannis was brilliant as well. 32 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists. He's such, to me now, an underrated passer. Uh, some of the plays he made passing were brilliant as well. Uh, kind of LeBron-esque where he's just running up the court. He sees the Giannis wall. It's either I am taking the shot going to the foul line. Do I trust myself shooting free throws? No, I don't. And he knows that about himself. He knows he's not the best three-point shooter. So rather than me miss two free throws, let me kick it out to Pat Connaughton or somebody else and have him make a play. And they've been delivering these past three games. Giannis has been just brilliant. Nine, 99 points, 20 assists, two turnovers in his last three games. Uh is just brilliant in terms of taking care of a basketball. Chris Middleton, the now official closer on this team, 29 points it seems like. He's just around an average player. Clutch time, final two minutes. It's Chris Middleton, takeover time, and that's what he did. And then Drew Holiday, um, 4 of 20 in game four. Big people, you know, picking on him because of his shooting. Then has a masterful game five where he shoots 12 for 20, 3 of 6 from 3, 27 points, 13 assists, double-double, only double-double on that team that game, and had the best defensive play of the night. We've been talking about Giannis in his blocks in the past couple games against the Suns. This time, it was Drew Holiday and the steal that he had on Devin Booker to ice a game, the lob up to Giannis to officially seal it, was just too good. It was just better Bucks. It was terrible Bucks in the first quarter, great Suns. Then the flip switched from the second to fourth quarter, and it was simply better Bucks. Devin Booker was spectacular, no doubt about that, the past two games. He has been spectacular. 50% shooting, 50% from three. 40 points was great, but he's going to need help from his running mate, Chris Paul. DeAndre Eaton, another double-double, 20 points, 10 rebounds. But Chris Paul had 11 points going into that fourth quarter, had 10 points in the fourth quarter. He's got to get involved more. From a start, make better decisions. It seems like after that 2-0 lead that the Suns took, everything that can go wrong for the Suns is going wrong. Everything that's going right for the Bucks is going right. And that all culminated in this Game 5 where we saw the trends that the Bucks had in the past two games carry on in Game 5 where Milwaukee's still out-rebounding them, still passing the ball more, making more uh, plays than them. You know, dominating the points in the paint, even though Phoenix actually had the edge this game. Uh, Milwaukee has a recipe for success. And I think, especially late in that game, the Suns should have fouled Giannis more from a free throw line. Very poor uh, free throw shooter. Uh I don't know his exact stats from the line, but he missed crucial free throws in the last few minutes of that game. Uh, and I thought, Giannis, you need to make your free throws because he doesn't make his free throws. I feel like the Suns should have kind of hacked Giannis, made him shoot free throws because that 
disrupts everything. That means Chris Middleton's not touching the ball. Drew Holiday isn't. Slows the pace of play. Giannis really doesn't want to hold the ball because if he gets out, he can't trust himself. So I would I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns kind of do that in Game Six to try to slow it down, get Giannis more of a line because he can't make his free throws. But that's really the only knack you can say on Giannis is he doesn't make his free throws because he's faster than everybody else. He out hustles you, he out rebounds you. Uh, he out-defends you, blocks, steals. He will give it all on the defensive end. He actually gives it all on the offensive end, uh, whether it's passing, getting to the rim, uh, making the right play, because he wants to win this game. That's why the Bucks won Game 5, and that's why I've been saying Bucks and 6 haven't deterred since the Suns were up 2-0. I'm still rolling with it. Bucks and six, game six, tomorrow night, and I have the Bucks, of course, winning this game. They have all the momentum, as I said. This two-game winning streak is now going into a three-game winning streak. This is game six. It's in Milwaukee, the last game that their home fans will see this season in the Deer District where that place will get nuts because they want to see a championship there. The Bucks will feed off the energy that they have. Giannis, who has been the best player in the playoffs so far, will continue with his greatness. Chris Middleton will close the game out. They'll have a good performance from Drew Holiday, and it'll just be too much to overcome in Milwaukee, because the Suns have been making the mistakes too many times, where they have great possessions followed up with bad ones, where Giannis, defensive, former defensive player of the year, is on Aiton, and you just hand the ball off to Aiton, wanting him to make a shot over the better defender of Giannis than Aiton is as an offensive piece. So that will not help out the Suns, and this all just culminates and the Bucks winning the championship tomorrow night in Milwaukee in front of the home fans. Giannis gets his done, gets his first ring, gets a finals MVP to go alongside two and two regular season MVPs and a defensive player of the year. All team is well NBA offense, defense. I mean, he is doing it all, and this culminates tomorrow night. His leadership is well, I think, is being documented well throughout this series, throughout this playoffs. He's growing more into a leader for this team where the guys look up to him. I think that helps as well. Giannis is getting it done. And again, as I said, I like Giannis a lot. The more I watch him play, the more I like him. The more I watch what he does off the court, the more I like him. Because he is just a likable guy. Doesn't do anything wrong. Doesn't say anything wrong in terms of the media. Is funny. Has jokes, but is also caring. I saw this one video of him where his girl wanted an autograph at this thing that Giannis was attending. Gave the young fan an autograph. But the young fan, the girl, actually wanted to give Giannis something. So Giannis accepted this folder or book or whatever uh, she gave Giannis. And Giannis wanted to look it over with her and talk to her about it. So I just think this is the character of Giannis. And I think part of what you do off the court you know, affects and translates to your game on the court as well. And it's just all culminating into greatness for Giannis. So I couldn't be more proud of him when he is crowned as an NBA champion tomorrow night at around 8.30 Pacific time. Now to get into the NHL. There were some trades that I want to get into briefly 
and give my grades on them. One, Detroit Red Wings acquired defenseman Nick Letty from the New York Islanders in exchange for forward Richard Panic in the second round draft pick. Detroit Red Wings, they get an A. Why? They get Nick Letty, who is one of the best defenders for the Islanders with that great pairing with Adam Pellick and Nick Letty that you just are shut down. The Red Wings get a shut down defender. They send a second round pick. Who knows what that'll accumulate into. And Richard Panic, who is now uh, this guy that goes to every team and uh, is just a journeyman now uh, who doesn't provide that much grade. So I'll give the Islanders a B- for this because they get something instead of losing him to Seattle. But great trade for uh, the Red Wings. The Pittsburgh Penguins traded Jared McCann to the Maple Leafs in exchange for Philip Hallander in a 7th round pick. I give the Penguins a F for this trade because they traded a very productive Jared McCann. Yes, they are. They wouldn't protect him, obviously, because they traded him, but I don't think they got a good haul for him. Philip Hallander, a prospect in the 7th round pick. Maple Leafs, I initially were going to give an A, but they didn't even protect Jared McCann. So I am giving them an F as well. This was basically the most useless trade between two teams I have ever seen in my whole entire life. There was a big three-way trade between the Knights and the Predators and the Flyers. The Flyers acquiring Ryan Ellis from the Predators for Felipe Myers and Nolan Patrick. Well, the Knights got Nolan Patrick from the Predators in exchange for forward Cody Glass. The Knights, I give a B. They did give up Cody Glass, who is a good prospect, but they got a really good one in Nolan Patrick as well, who's better than Cody Glass. It's just he's had injuries. I want to see him more on the ice for the Knights, but this could turn into a really good trade in hindsight. The Flyers get their... Defenseman Ryan Ellis, a stud. I'm going to give them an A for this. They did have to part with Nolan Patrick and Myers, but they needed help on the defensive end, as was severely highlighted by this regular season. The Predators, I give a C. They got rid of Ryan Ellis, who was a good defenseman. They got Felipe Myers, who was a good prospect. And they don't lose them to Seattle. But still, this hurts. Then, Arizona Coyotes acquire Andrew Ladd, a second-round pick in this year's draft, a second-round pick next year, and a third-round pick the following year from the Islanders for nothing. So the Islanders, I'll give them a B because they got rid of RSC. Because they got rid of Ladd's contract. But they did give away quite a few picks. It's only $5 million. Coyotes will also give a B. Because they're acquiring Andrew Ladd. Who probably won't play this season. And has a $5 million contract. So you're just paying him to sit on the bench. But you do acquire draft picks. Which you are desperate to have. Because you lost a couple. With the previous general manager. And the things he has done. Wednesday is the expansion draft. So my next podcast, I will be detailing my mock that I would like to see if I was the Seattle Kraken general manager. But there are some good names available. There are some surprises that I am still not too sure about. One being Carey Price for the Canadians. Yes, he had a subpar regular season, but you can't deny he had a great postseason run, which was vintage Carey Price. I was surprised the Predators didn't choose to protect either Ryan Johansson or Matthew Shane. Those are two quality centers. Not protecting one of them, which provides great two-way depth, to me is very tough to get my head around. Josh Bailey and Jordan Eberle for the New York Islanders. Uh, two great players. Both play well with Matt Barzal. I thought this was very strange. Bailey on the B line with Brock Nelson 
as well in Bovillier. They opted in to keep the Cal quarterback Matt Martin combo, which is great defensively, but this is a team that sometimes struggles on offense, so giving away two of your best offensive pieces, that seems strange uh, to me. But they can only pick one, which is good for the Islanders. But it shows your priorities and who you keep. It's kind of like choosing your favorite players, and those ones that get ousted are like, oh, come on, I thought we liked you better. The Tampa Bay Lightning, Yanni Gord, Andre Palat are big ones, but to me, the Yanni Gord, because he actually has been really good for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I think the Seattle Kraken are a great team. Do I think they'll have as great a team as the Vegas Golden Knights in their first go-around? No, I do not. I don't expect them to. But it is a really good team. I'm looking forward to the draft on Wednesday night. In terms of MLB, with MLB underway again, tonight we have the two best teams going head-to-head, the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers, Kevin Gosman versus Tony Gosselin on the pitching mounds for their respective teams battling for first place in this division. Should be a tight one with the Dodgers giving the Giants fifth this year. Can the Giants rebound? And then Space Jam. Watch the new Space Jam movie. A new legacy with LeBron James. And to me, it was slightly better than the original. The original with Michael Jordan is great. It's the original. Uh, It's kind of that classic game of basketball. Uh, that they play with. Uh, but to me, the storyline isn't realistic with Michael Jordan getting sucked into this, you know, putting green golf hole, getting transported to a different uh, world with the Monstars, and the Monstars kind of stealing the powers and height and everything of a regular NBA players and. Michael Jordan's acting in it, uh, even though his heart's in there and it's good. It's kind of his feel-good piece. Uh, I just have to give the new Space Jam just a higher up, because to me it is more funny overall. Uh, It is LeBron James, to me he's a better actor than Michael Jordan had that cameo, extended cameo and kind of train wreck. He has his acting chops, was better. The storyline was more realistic in terms of the AI and the threatening aspect of it and really the future of technology. Don Cheadle was brilliant as a villain in this movie. I think the only thing I have is Warner Bros. just dumping out every IP that they have at the end there, showing Pennywise from it. Uh, Jim Carrey's mask, character of a Matrix, Harry Potter, you know, Clockwork Orange and Stanley Kubrick's things. That's That all was a bit much, but it did kind of fit. And again, still that feel-good story of LeBron and his son in the movie going up against the Goon Squad. But the Looney Tunes were still great in it. LeBron was great in it. It was a great, funny movie, and I'll give LeBron an edge over Michael Jordan on this one if we want to bring the GOAT debate outside of basketball. But that would be a debate for another time. I'll leave you with that. Bye, everybody.